Welcome to a Valid Fish Sugar Americana, an American-based English language Valid Fish Sugar fan podcast where our views are unofficial, uninformed, and usually unprepared. This is episode 83. I'm your host, Travis. You can reach me at Hazelfish. You can reach us online at Valid Fish Sugar Americana, on Twitter at Valid Americana. Joining me as usual is Matt. You can reach him at Cell Racer. Later on, Hannes will join us with help with Hannes. We've got a big episode this week, Matt. We've got the big win versus Gladbach. We've got the big interview with Veril. We've got the big match versus the Pokal in the Pokal versus Frankfurt. We've got a huge match against Hertha at their place. Ted brought home three points. Matt, did you know that Ted, Stephen, and Ross, all members of our OFC, have brought home at least one point, and the OFC is undefeated while in attendance? I mean, thoughts on the OFC and Valve Bay right now? Clearly, one of us needs to be in the stands every match. We are the reason for the season. <laughs> Here we go to part one. We got some shout outs. Uh, in tip spiel, it is a three man race between Steven, who extended his lead this week over myself. I finished second, and Doug, who finished third. Part of the reason it's a three man race is because only three people are still participating in tip spiel, which is the prediction machine on Valpy's website. Fantasy winner, uh, Hannes won this time for the first time, and he cut into Jens's lead. So there's still a chance for everybody, though Jens has a pretty big lead. Valpe Bingo, Gary Preston was the announcer this week, and he was on fire and he looked to be the first announcer to complete the bingo card he got seven of the possible 25 all in the first half though and then he kind of petered out uh, much like espn matt thoughts on how awesome espn's coverage is right now of the bundesliga i have had more consistent high quality illegal streams of second division games than i had of that game uh this weekend and it's embarrassing to have the worldwide leader in sports unable to deliver a simple thing i can watch f1 series live without an issue it's broadcast all over the world across multiple networks and who knows how many different contract agreements and i can't get anything out of espn you think that the worldwide wide leader in sports just like the houston astros are like the world series champions it's all American at this point. I think that's 1,000%. And as a hockey fan, I can tell you they do not cover sports. They cover what they want to cover. <laughs> oh, boy. ESPN, we love you when you're actually. Mm. So, eh. uh, you're the only ones that show our club. So right now we have to. It's a forced love. It's a forced marriage at this point. Totally fair. The pod prediction champ, Jeff, won this week. He went 6-1-2, and two, Matt. You came in last. You were the opposite of him. Two wins. So Jeff has the best record in the second half of the season. But overall, Matt, you still have the lead. You have been correct 119 times versus 110 losses. I'm two behind you. I think this is pretty impressive considering we're going you know, with something you don't even understand, which is the betting odds. I, I think it's lucky that I did so well at the beginning of the season. Otherwise, I would be way down in the cellar. Yeah, you're in the uh, Mendoza line. If you don't know what baseball <laughs> is, that's that's where Matt's at right now. Uh, the Valpe Frauen, unfortunately, they gave up a goal after a 1-0 lead against table leader TSV Neuenstein. Now they're eight 
points behind and only six games left in the over league. But still, it's been a great season despite a lot of injuries for the ladies. Uh, shout out to, to Maya Morecambe, the only other club that I follow. They came back from two down to win their League One game, to keep their League One hopes alive with one match left in the season. They're traveling to someplace called Exeter. But, Matt, if they lose, they get to play Wrexham next year in League Two. So, win-win. That could be exciting. It could be. They'll at least be on TV. The man of the match for the OFC, it's a French connection. It was a tie between Seyrou Jirasi and Koulibaly until a late vote put it in Seyrou's camp. So, Seyrou, congratulations on your second man of the match award from the OFC. Uh, shout out, Matt, to you and I. Thanks to Ted going to Germany and passing out stickers, going to Palm Beach, having some uh, beers with the supporters out there. He was all over the Twitter machine. He, our stickers are in the curb now, which is incredibly awesome. Uh, he came away with three points, but everybody's inviting us, you know, to go to Stuttgart now. So, you know, between our OFC being undefeated, between all the invites that we're getting, Matt, do you have any shout outs you want to throw or any skids you want to grease to get us over there? Shout out anybody that can convince my wife, me leaving her with our two children for an extended period of time <laughs> to go watch football in Germany is a phenomenal idea. Matt, let's jump into the match here in part two. Pre-game. So we're hosting Gladbach. Uh, it was an early match on Saturday. Now we are 9-5-10 and 10 against them in the last 14. We're 1-1 one one on the season. Gladbach have been struggling since the break, and they're now winless in their last six. So they had really nothing to play for, and it kind of looked like it early on. We had everything to play for, and it looked like it for most of the match, which really hasn't been the case all season, you know, every game for us. We are now 3-2-1 with our last six, undefeated under Honus. Before we dive into the details of this one, just your quick, instant react to the match. Ah! <laughs> yeah, it was, I was a little bit pessimistic. You were a little bit optimistic going into this one. I thought we would at least get a point. I didn't, didn't know if we'd get a win, but Gladbach plays a style that we play well against. They play open with space, and that's where we seem to do pretty well. So I thought we'd at least get a point, but it's kind of like the stock market. At some point, you just figure this honus bump that we're getting is going to come down a little bit. Uh, it didn't come down. In fact, it's still going up. Guys played great. His subs were great. Uh, the support was great. It, just, it was a match that from zero minute to 98 minute, which was stressful, they were all in mentally – focused and it was just great to see them put in 100 percent effort for the entirety of the match it feels like the the team is more comfortable and like they're doing something that makes sense to them and I, i'm guessing honus has explained his vision well and laid it out and the guys will go yeah okay we can we can do this um and for all the talk of bruno simplifying things during the break, that's not what we saw when the team got on the field after about the third game that he had in charge. It's kind of crazy because Ricky Palm put out a tweet where he did the tables, the table under Vimmer, the table under Bruno, and the table under uh, Honus. And the table under Vimmer, we were in, like in the top seven or eight. The table under Honus, we're in the top seven or eight. The table under Bruno, we were 18. And I think it does go exactly back to what you said. I think Honus is talking to these guys in a language they understand. And I don't mean German. I mean, 
say what you will, they, they played a three at the back type of system with wingbacks on the side for over a thousand days, right? With mm-hmm. And we talked about this last episode. We may not be the best at playing football, but that's the best football that we can play that particular system. And I think he's speaking the language they understand, which is this particular system that gives them the best chance, you know, to win. So let's talk about the match a little bit, the lineups a little bit. So Ito was out because of a yellow card accumulation. The big change was Silas was in, Furich uh, was out. Uh, Gladbach was missing three of their starters. So that definitely helped us. There was the amazing choreography in the curve before the match. It was just gorgeous. Ted sent us some pictures of it. You could see it on the ESPN broadcast. Of the things I talked about, what do you think? So the choreo was amazing. And <clears throat> Ted hooked us up with a little video of it. And I love um, that they're playing uh, Rammstein's Deutschland <laughs> in, in the stadium. Um, I may be in the minority, but I kind of think that Germany should replace their national anthem with uh, Deutschland by Rammstein. It is a banger. Um <laughs> And it would be amazing to hear during an Olympic ceremony. <laughs> uh, the The lineup was good. I felt pretty good about it. And you're, you're right. I had an unfounded optimism for this game. I don't know why. I just, I felt like Gladbach's been on the skids and we've been playing more positively. And I had hope in my heart, which is something I don't get a lot watching football lately. Yeah, it was, the, and to your point, we came out, really hot Gladbach was on their heels to begin with and they, you usually see that between a home team and an away team in the Bundesliga the first 10 20 minutes but we came out strong I mean we had early chances by Carrizo early chances by Anton and then around the 22nd minute or so there was a mess in the box I like how Anton got an assist for this play which I'm pretty sure he was trying to shoot it but hey in the box score it all counts the same Seru had that just gorgeous heel flick I can't believe that the XG said it was like a 70% chance to make that. It was just, the XG is a stat that like VAR, I just, I don't want to hear about it anymore. It just, it, I, I don't think it is actually real. Of course, VAR intervened. Apparently Enzo was offside, but no house from Gladbach was last in the ball. And that's what kicker wrote. And I have no idea what that means. So here, let's talk about one of two things. Uh, your thoughts on VAR, both in this game and around the league. And, how good is Seiru Jirasi and how much did his injury early in the second half impact this club, but also impact your thoughts on how the second half is going to go. Um, but the thing that gets me with bar is it's supposed to be, and we see this in the NFL, we see this in NCAA football. It's supposed to overturn a decision if it's clear and obviously wrong. And if you can't do that in 30 seconds, let's say, what are you doing? Just take a look, decide yes, no, we're moving. I can't tell. And if I can't tell, it stays with the call on the field. We're moving on with life. The, the agonizing, like we're going to look at this at 7,000 different angles and see if we can find something that the official could not have possibly seen. So we can ruin things. Um, it, it's exhausting and it's frustrating. And like with college football games, I see it um, particularly because I go to a lot of live games it's excruciating sitting in the stands and just we go to commercials and the refs are standing down there and they come back and the refs are still standing down there and they go to commercial again. They're still standing there. So it's, there has to be something bar is a good thing. 
ultimately. It's good to make sure that the calls are gotten right, but we need to do something to prevent this from becoming a referee show uh, because they know the cameras are on them. Um, Jirasi, that goal is something we would not have seen out of a Stuttgart striker in three years, maybe. Just cool, calm, collected. The only way he could do that was that little tap answer, heel kick move that he did. And it was amazing. And he was just, it's like he did it all the time. It looked like something you would do in practice <laughs> for a laugh. And he did it in the game and then was like, yeah, I did that. And it was awesome. The thing I like about Jirasi too, is that he's, his holdup play is so impressive and he's actually all over the pitch. You would expect him to be always in that last third, but he's, always at midfield, holding up the ball, passing the ball back, getting the play started. We really haven't seen a guy like that since Kalajic. Uh, Simon Tarota, when we were in the second division, he did that really well against those type of players. But he, his hold-up play is just so I – mean, and his intuitiveness inside the box is just – it's crazy how high quality he is. And I'll say this is when he was hurt early in the second half, I was like – I thought we were done. And with him out of the game for 40-some minutes left, I was super worried. Yeah, when you take your most potent offensive force and remove them, where is your hope gone now? Right. So, and, so No, I want you to talk about hope. I I don't. <laughs> I, it got lost in the cup. <laughs> yeah, so the game – so Seiru comes out of the game, you know, later in the second half, but still in that first half, after that first goal, you know, things kind of even out a little bit. Uh, Gladbach had a great shot in the 33rd minute. Brendel had a great save there. He had another fantastic save later in the 95th minute. Let's talk a little bit about Fabian here. He, early on, when Honus took over, he said he was just going to put Brendel in because he had been the starter and Honus didn't have a lot of time to evaluate things and he was going to evaluate it. After the match, this past week, he's like, yeah, you know, Brello's going to be the starter, you know, going forward. You've said it before. We don't want to belabor the point, uh, especially because Florian Mueller seems to be a fantastic teammate. When Koulibaly scored the goal that turned out to be the winner with the penalty kick, one of the first guys down there celebrating with him was Florian Mueller. And he seems to just be a really good guy in the locker room. But Bredlow is just so consistent. He's just steady. And that's not something we've had for a little bit since, you know, at least Gregor Colbell has been back there. Yeah. Bradlow's not going to make a ton of like jaw dropping, amazing athletic saves. Muller is, I think a better athlete than Bradlow, but Bradlow's focus is next level and he stays calm and he's got good positioning and he plays smart. And that's, that you can make up for a lot of physical shortcomings by being smart and disciplined as a goalkeeper. And he is very smart and very disciplined, which was something we saw from Muller where he would just have complete brain farts and wander off the field in the middle of a game. <laughs> so, yeah, it was the other thing that happened brain fart wise is as the second half is, is about to uh, show up, we end the first half with a couple chances that we don't convert. So you're going into halftime up one, but you could have been up two, and you just know how the Bundesliga works. It's like, we need to get that, that security goal. So the second half starts up, Seiru gets hurt. You're like, uh Oh, then Dan Axel gives up his third penalty kick of the season. Uh, 
Tim said this. He sent in a question and comment to the group on our OFCs. Like Zagadu is either the worst defensive player we have had in the box or the unluckiest player. I just can't figure it out. He's given up three spot kicks against him this year. I'm starting to feel bad for him. I, let's talk about Dan Axel a little bit. So he's played the last two matches because in the one match, Dino is out because of the red card. In this match against Gladbach, Ito is out because of the yellow card accumulation. I'm actually coming around on the big guy. I, I keep forgetting he's only 23 years old. Um, He's mistake prone. He is good for at least one mistake per game. He almost had two. He had an early turnover, bad clearance in the first half, and then he had the penalty kick, which in this day and age where we complain about you know, handballs. That was about as clear cut of a handball yeah. as, as you could get. The poor guy makes a mistake. I want him to get a goal at some point because he's gotten kind of close. I think he's solid. I think he's really steady. I think his his passing out of the back was around 90% from what I looked at. He didn't have a lot of duels because I don't think a lot of guys want to go up against him, to be quite honest. He's huge. Um, what are your thoughts on Dan Axel? I I'm curious to see what's going to happen in the matches coming up because all the guys in the back are healthy, Ito, Anton, and Dino. So Dan Axel will probably be on the bench is my guess. If Dan Axel is your backup, that's probably not a bad backup to have. If you can get around that one mistake, he's going to make every single match. He, Dan Axel could be a fantastic defender. He plays 95% of the game at a very high level and then just goes controller disconnected for 30 seconds for no discernible reason. I got to think that if they got some mentoring done for him with like, you're going to be tied at the hip to Anton and Anton's going to teach you how to function as a center back. And Anton's a dude as a center back, uh, not as a right back, but as a (laughs) center back who doesn't make a whole lot of huge mistakes. He tends to be pretty smart, pretty pretty safe. And that'd be a good avenue for Zagadu to sit in. But he needs somebody constantly in his ear while he's maturing. And as you said, he's 23. And for a professional athlete, that might seem like, oh, that dude's in his prime. Defenders mature slower than attackers do. It's a more cerebral game. There's more ins and outs going on. Attacker, ball in that, done right so yeah he's got two or three years before he's really in his prime so he is he's a baby on the team and he needs some guidance and i think if he gets that and gets some more time with the first team guys he's gonna be really good but for the time being i want ito starting out there because ito is not mistake prone yeah the thing that's weird about dan axel is that his clearances he doesn't mess around he clears the ball out of there so he's kind of old school mm-hmm. in that respect so he just he gets rid of the ball so you don't have to worry about any kind of turnovers in the back. He is a physical presence. You know, when there's a corner kick coming in, he is one of the few players that makes me feel more comfortable back there because he can get the ball out. I don't think he's ever played more than 20-some games a season because he's been so injury-prone. And I'm curious if playing for Dortmund actually retarded his growth a little bit because they were so good and he had played in Champions League games. That's a lot of pressure that maybe if he would have played in a club that had less expectations, he could have developed a little bit more smoothly, you know, playing for a relegation candidate, I'm sure it doesn't help, but maybe there's something there that if he can kind of stick somewhere for a little bit and knock on wood, 
avoid the Holger Badstuber disease and stay healthy, maybe he can turn into that guy, like you said, who grows into the position by the time he's 25, he is one of the more solid, dependable, better defensive players in the Bundesliga. He might be a guy who needs live player reps for things to sink in and that he is, he can practice as good as he wants. If he's not getting the game time, it's not going to take, and he's not gotten the game time. Another guy who's pretty young is our, is our coach Honus, right? He's only about 40 some years old. So let's talk about him a little bit. So he had to sub Seiru out in the 56 minutes. So Tiago came on and then he subbed Silas and Enzo out. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Silas and Enzo out for Fjord and the super sub Kulabai in the 73rd minute. Um, Gladbach, Brought down Tiago, so Kulbali converted that. VAR, of course, took forever to figure it out. You know what exactly? We didn't know if it was a penalty kick, if it was a red card. I think that's one of the problems: is that you just don't know what they're actually looking at, and that drives everybody bananas. Well, let's go back just a little bit. I want to talk about two things here: the sub timing that Honus has, and the subs themselves. Because I texted you on the side, I was like, "Oh man, Kulbali, not to go ahead." Said, "Oh man, I think Silas needs to sit." Because you could just see after about the 65th, 70th minute, he wasn't tracking back on defense like he was early in the game. He wasn't pressing like he was early in the game. And then in the 70th minute or so, the sub was made. So two things, the timing of the subs and the subs themselves. What do you think? So the Jirasi one was really unfortunate. Um, bringing Tomas on for him, I was a little head scratchy for me. But at the same time, like, who else do you put in that spot? And I thought Tomas played really well. He did uh, impressively well during the time he had as our, our target striker. Furich, I was excited about, and I was severely in the minority in the Discord groups. Um, <laughs> nobody was happy about that. I was thinking about it from a Furich can't finish, but Furich is a good holdup guy. He gets the ball. He does a good job moving it upfield. It's that final third where he falls apart. We're in the lead. We don't need him to do anything in the final third. This is fine. Um, he ended up not playing very well, so uh, egg on my face. Koulibaly, um, he's a different guy under Honus. He is playing. I, I was not excited about him, and the Discord folks uh, disagreed with me, and they were right <laughs> again. Um, I thought, you know, Koulibaly is kind of an a, agent of chaos and a, a – a crapster and that's not what we needed we needed lockdown defensive play but he went out there and ran the other team ragged he took a penalty which i was shocked that he was doing and thought this will not end well so Koulibaly just uh, made me eat my words and i'm happy about it yeah the, the, i thought the timing was perfect that to put him in um it just looked like silas was getting tired enzo played great he's all over the pitch he's, he's a little he's a smaller guy but he puts himself in there physically and he is really becoming that engine of the midfield for us that we desperately need. Uh, I thought Tiago Tomas played one of his best games to date. He was all over the pitch. He was causing them all kinds of problems. He was pushing them, pressing them. He had a couple passes that you know didn't connect, but he was everywhere. And I thought this is a very promising development of him with about four games left for him to do that. I was happy with the Fjord sub because I have given up thinking he's can do much on offense, but I was like, okay, he's going to run everywhere. And what we need to do now is we need to continue to push Gladbach. We can't let them have space and he's not going to do that. 
where I'll disagree with you and agree with the Discord group, but also agree with you. So I'm going to be on every side of the fence on this one. Is I thought the cool volley stuff just makes sense. That's his role now. He is going to come on for 20 or 30 minutes and just run people ragged. You could just see as soon as he came on, it was like a match a couple of weeks ago against Dortmund where he was causing them all kinds of problems. The the thing that's wild, where I will agree with you, is that if not those guys who Luca Fiber is not even on the bench anymore. Gildias is not even on the bench anymore. Haraguchi, that's not the type of position he's he's gonna play, you know, for for those roles. So they're kind of he only subbed three guys, which some people were upset about with Honus. But who else are you going to put out there at this point? I mean, Juan Pereira is probably the only other guy that can play a Tiago Koulibaly type role, but you've already got those guys, you know, out there. So I thought the subs were fine. I thought Tiago played one of his best games to date. I'm really excited about what he can do going forward. Uh, we got a question about Koulibaly later in the episode, so we'll kind of hold off on him for a little bit. But he has just been playing fantastic. If Koulibaly didn't take that penalty kick, though, who else do you think would have signed up to take it? I kind of thought uh, Tomas would run right up and want to take it. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Endo take it. Uh, or a Mavropanos, are you allowed to chip a ball up and then thunderhead it in on a, <laughs> on a penalty kick? Because that'd be awesome. I would love to see Dino run from midfield and <laughs> sprint and just watch the goalie piddle himself as this ball is going to come a million miles right? When the penalty was called, my first thought was like, yes. And my second thought was like, oh God, come on, VAR. My third thought was, who's going to take it? There, There was not a guy on the field that I thought, had the confidence to actually put the ball in the net. I was like, all right, Furich took one. Oh gosh. But the one he made was a dribbler that barely made it in. Koulibaly was one of the last people on my mind. And then for him to stand there for about two minutes while the VAR check was going on and keep his composure and then put that away. I know you're supposed to make most penalty kicks, but to make a kick like that in front of the curve, I don't know if I'm making that kick. I was impressed that he he stepped right up and he was like, I'm doing this. Mm. And then, as you said, he stood there and waited out the agonizing review. And then he iced it. It was just, it was awesome. I was so impressed with how he handled that. And it was fantastic. What's more impressive, the kick or his celebration somersault after the kick? I can kick a ball into a net. I cannot do a backflip. So I'm going to say the backflip celebration is more impressive. That was definitely the most impressive thing. It was also awesome. And you and I have talked about this a bunch of different episodes to see all the guys who aren't even playing from Florian Mueller to Stenzel to poor Seiru Jirasi, who looked like he was Quasimodo at that point. All those guys down there, you can tell this is a team. And this goes to what we said. I, I don't, think it matters what anybody says about this club these guys actually want to win for each other you mentioned the word agonize we had to wait eight minutes actually nine minutes of extra time before the final whistle was actually blown so final thoughts on the match we got five wins under honus everyone was celebrating with cool ball which is an amazing team spirit uh borna went into the curve and spoke to the curve and said we need you guys you know the rest of the way come to wednesday's game let's stay in this together the players celebrated extra long with the crowd. Thoughts on the match. Thoughts on the end of the match. Final thoughts before we head into the next section. 
I had a elevated heart rate for probably a good hour after that match was done and felt exhausted uh, by the time I came down off of that high. I can't imagine what the experience was like for Ted being there in person. Really excited to get an opportunity to talk to him and hear his story uh, about how that all went down. But what a game to be at. If you were going to script a trip and a game to see, could you have drawn that up better? I'm super impressed with how the guys stay together, fight for each other. And I'm really jealous that Ted got to see that live in person and we didn't. <laughs> I know you bastard. As we said last, last <laughs> episode, it was just great to see somebody like Borna Sosa, who's not going to be with the club next year, no matter what, in my opinion, he's, he is as, as young and veiled white and red as any player. It's just to go into the curve like that. And the guy bleeds white and red for the team. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to see, uh, the supporters were once again amazing, like always. You mentioned the choreography. That was just gorgeous to see what they were able to do there. Uh, I'm super excited to hear what Ted, the stories he's going to tell from pregame to the actual game itself. The whole thing was fantastic. I, I was so nervous sitting on my couch watching this because it's a game that we deserved. You know, it was a mm-hmm. game deserved to win. But sports and football isn't always gracious like that and we know that more than most people do uh, i'm sure there's some dortmund fans this who might be listening to this for like uh hold our beer <laughs> we've got to <laughs> but no it was it was great especially considering that all the clubs around us got results that that's what made this all the more important so we moved up to 15th place but just barely so bokum got a result against dortmund on friday and then uh, augsburg got a draw half and i'm so we've got Augsburg at 13th with 31 points. We've got Hoffenheim is 14th with 29. Then we're 15th with 28. Bochum's 16th with 28. Schalke is the game that I'm probably the most bummed out about because it would have been really awesome to be four points up with four to go, but they got that dramatic come-from-behind win versus Bremen. They're at one point behind us, 27. Hertha did everything they could against Bayern. The entire world was rooting for them this weekend. I wanted them to get a draw, to be quite honest, uh, just for the league. They've got 22. So thoughts on the the weekend and the matches, you know, that uh, that went on around us. It was bound to not break our way after we've gotten several weekends in a row where things did go our way. I'm most disappointed in Dortmund for Dortmunding themselves. Um, it's like the entire league is trying to help them win the Meisterschale and they don't want to, uh, I, I don't get it, but, um, Herta was the other one. I, I desperately wanted Herta to win and was really bummed out, uh, at the result from that. I thought the universe would be put back into its perfect place. If Herta could somehow get one point out of that, because it would make, what happened to Dortmund a lot less painful and sickening to a lot of us. It wouldn't give Hertha three points. So they'd still be, you know, five points back from us. So that'd be good. And they gave it an effort up until about the 60th minute or so. But, you know, Byron is Byron. They were able to do what they were able to do. And you brought up a great point. We've got Dortmund doing what Dortmund does, which is not taking the help everybody's offering them, but they did get a little host over, I think here. So we're going to talk to Hannes in our next segment. He's going to break down a little bit of what is up with the officiating in Germany 
because he mentioned a couple episodes ago about how he's generally considered pretty poor and boy howdy did it look pretty poor on friday but then what he's going to do is going to give us a little insight into an interview that our very well-spoken director of sport alexander Verrill gave uh on sunday that has got all about beef supporters a little bit in a tizzy so matt we're going to give you a little bit of a rest right now but a little break let your heart rest up from this uh this weekend and how about we'll talk to you again in part four we go take a nap and wait for you Welcome to part three, news and headlines. And there are some big news and headlines. So we thought, you know, that means it's uh, time to get some help. And who better to help us than get some help with Hannes? Hannes, you and I have been trying to get a hold of each other for quite some time. Uh, we might have a special guest on during this episode. <laughs> how, how are you doing? And uh, how's your little one doing? Hi, thanks. I'm doing good. Um, my daughter is a little bit sick. That's why she's right now on my arm as I record uh, as I record the podcast with you. But um, <laughs> she's already super into soccer, so she's gonna benefit from it for sure. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to add her to the OFC and our listener list as well. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the, there's two big stories that took place this week. One was about officiating that everybody was talking about. And then there was one that was about, yo know, Val Faye-Sugart, which all the Val Faye fans were talking about. So the first thing I want to ask you, because they all came together like a Voltron episode on Sunday when both stories were together. So first off, I want you to tell us about this show called Dopa, because when I woke up on Sunday, I saw all kinds of comments about the show, the comments that were made. So you helped us through... Bundesliga, you know, media a few episodes back. What is up with this Dopa show, and is it uh, pretty popular? Um, yeah, it it actually is really popular. So um, it is a show. It's uh, in one of the German um, TV outlets, um, and it's every Sunday, I think, from eleven to one o'clock. Um, and yeah, basically, a bunch of media people um, talk about. Um, yeah, recent stuff in the Bundesliga, um, but it actually more or less became a FC Bayern talk show. So a lot of other fans from other clubs don't like that show so much anymore because <laughs> even though when they talked about um, your club for like 10 or 15 minutes, whatever time's left when they're done talking about Bayern, mm -hmm. um, it's really it's really general and really broad. and you know that they all have no idea really about the current situation at least in depth they just read a little bit they just know a little bit they have their mm -hmm. opinion um they share but it is not like as good as if you would listen to a uh, to a podcast for example oh, okay all right it sounds like yeah just a general kind of overview and they bring in yes yeah. from the various clubs all right so that sounds fair so the the big story, and I don't I don't want to talk too much about it because Matt and I have already talked about it a little bit, and we'll talk about it you know after you and I are done. But the big story was obviously the officiating blunder that took place on Friday in the Dortmund and Boca match, and I remember that you were talking to us a while back and you mentioned kind of in passing how the officiating in Germany is just generally considered really poor, and we really didn't touch on it too much because you know at the time you know it's just something that we do all the time right we gripe about the officiating but this has gotten a lot of play it's gotten a lot of news so give us real quick 
your thoughts on what's happening with officiating, what's going on with VAR. Uh, did the program talk about, is there a crisis in the Bundesliga regarding both of these topics? So that's actually, that's super interesting because I felt when the VAR was introduced, that helps our bad officiating, right? Because mm -hmm. now they have less chances to screw up, but actually what happened is they have more chances to screw up. So <laughs> um, we talked about it because it affected VfB heavily in the past. This time it happened to Dortmund, so now the media attention is a little bit bigger. But everyone who saw the scene knows for sure that's a penalty. And um, the referee said that he was actually also at that show where Verle was in double pass, Dopa. And he said he has, like, he obviously needs to see it himself on field, but um, he didn't. And he did not get the clear signals from the VAR that he should recheck that scene. And, yeah. I was just, I was so upset. And I wasn't even upset that Bochum got the point. And I wasn't even that upset that Dorman didn't get three. Although, I want to see a new title winner like anybody else does. But it was just, if you don't have integrity on the field and you don't have fairness on the field then nothing really matters i don't know what the answer is but you know maybe that's for people who are making a little bit more money you know than you and i are which is <laughs> yeah. gets to our second big story and this is the one i actually want to spend some time on because i think our listeners will really like to hear your insight on this so the other guest that was on the show was our very own alexander verrill and he gave an interview about the state of the club, but not just the state of the club now, the state of the club in the past and some of the personalities in the past. And when I woke up Sunday, Twitter was just ablaze with comments about what he had said. And I want to be fair to Alex because uh, I liked the approach they were taking. I'm very pessimistic of the approach we are now taking. So I wanted to reach out to you who somebody who actually listened to it to get actual insight on it. So what did he say? You know, what were your takeaways? I mean, we'll go back and forth on this, but what was going on? Why is the guy even on there? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's kind of funny because I woke up the same way. I saw it also and I had, whoops. Okay. I missed something. I should see how I can get to watch that. And then I actually could listen to it as a podcast a little bit later that day, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the big question I think that you asked is why is he even on? Why is he talking in public at all? Because after each interview from him, you have something new, you would say like, why would he say that? Why would such a experience person who had so many high levels job in soccer clubs already in his career makes so easy and dumb mistakes so mm -hmm. what happened this sunday it was it was not that one huge mistake but it was just what also was mentioned on twitter um he contrad like whatever he said two sentences later he was contradicting him uh himself um he was talking really poorly um, about Misinta, didn't really say it by name, but you would you knew that um, uh, some of his statements were clearly directed toward him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, in general, it was, he didn't say much new things that were shocking, but he kind of doubled down on the things that you th thought like, maybe he just like 
said that uh, in the moment or he didn't really think of it or he just wanted to get out of an interview and that's why he would just give like a short um phrase that would attack Mislintat and he doesn't own his mistakes but he doubled down on that and it is just um it's just in line with his other public performances in the past just um that he didn't do that he didn't say anything really crazy new we didn't know about i think that's my biggest criticism of alex is that he is a professional in this field, but his messages and his communication just seems to be so poor. And I'm so surprised that somebody who has been in this business for so long isn't able to put together a clear communication as to what his ideas are. And it seems like there's a lot of thin skinned actions here. Why are we till, still talking about Sven? You know, it's so let's talk about that real quick. It's it, from what I read on Twitter, it seemed like he ripped Sven for being a one-man show, for putting together a poor roster. But then to your point of the contradictions, he then said that they worked together on the roster over the summer, but the roster that is on the field is Sven's fault for not being very good. <laughs> am, I, am I getting that right? Is that one of the contradictions you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's a, a classic one. Last summer, when everyone was kind of freaking out why Sven doesn't get extended, he said um, we should all relax, and mm -hmm. he, they would not if they wouldn't be working well together. They couldn't make together so many um, transfers, like they couldn't sign so many players or get them get rid of so many players. And now um, it is only Sven's fault because he was a one-man show, and that's the first contradiction already. Um, either way you work good together or it's a one-man show but um just um looking back how sven talked we all know he has a lot of self-confidence and <laughs> he's he, he knows what he's doing and i think he deserves that self-confidence but you always heard him talking in the we form he always said we my team and he always mentioned um those other people around him, the, the other directors, the other sporting directors in the team, for example, for the youth team, um, Krücken, or for more like the contract details, Markus Rüth. He always had um, him, he always mentioned that him when it came, like when it was appropriate. So yeah, I'm not seeing that as a one-man show. I, I think he has really strong opinions, but I know also that um, he said, when he got introduced in Stuttgart, that he wants to be able to have discussions and heated discussions, and he wants to hear everyone's opinion. So I don't know. It can be true that that was all just show from him, but um, just giving the the past of both of the um, people like Verle and Mislintat, I'm more on Mislintat's side there, <laughs> to be honest. Well, let's talk about the thing that he mentioned about the roster, or let's talk about the thing that we just talked about, the roster. From what I read, he was pretty critical of the roster that's out there, essentially saying they're the reason that we're here. It seems like a really odd time to be critical of the roster. We're in this five-game winning streak. We have this enormously important week. We just came off a win versus Gladbach. We've got the huge Pokal match coming up. We've got an even bigger match at Hertha coming up where we don't tend to play very well. It seemed like a weird time to rip on the players but i i want to give alex some some leeway here was he actually criticizing the roster or 
Well, um, his point, and he, so I think why it got into, like, why he got spiraled into criticizing the roster was because there was one journalist there who really um, verbally attacked him. Like, he did not hold back, while the other ones are all, like, more, like, trying to give him the easy questions so they all can shine together and have a good time and then get their money and go get off, <laughs> off the show. No, the, the other, there was one reporter, he really fired um, hard against him. Not um, unfair in my opinion, but he was kind of asking the unpopular questions on, on such a show. Uh -huh. And so, yeah, the, um, the, this journalist said the, the team, the roster is good. And for example, with Wimmer, he would not, um, we would not be so far down. Um, mm -hmm. We would not gotten where we are right now. So he said, you just, that, that decision to get uh, Bruno Lavadia was so horrendously wrong. And that's just his mistake. And then he said, then his defense was that the roster is not really good and that it, it was a one man show and that they need to work on it. So that's, that's how it kind of got there. And when then the other journalist said, the roster is good. There are young players. They're playing really good right now. And then he said, yeah, it is, it is very good overall, but there's some key pieces missing that we have to fix in the summer. And so, you know, like he was saying, first the roster isn't good. Then the roster is actually good because oh, they uh, suggest that the roster is good. And then um, at the end, it was just like some details that Sven must have messed up. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. It's not making it easier for me to defend Alex anymore <laughs> after listening to some of this. The thing also that a lot of people were talking about was what the reporter brought up and you just mentioned about Bruno's hire and Vimmer's letting go. And from what I gathered, he said something to the effect of, well, Bruno was unlucky and Vimmer was lucky. And Vimmer got too lucky. And so that's one of the reasons we didn't want to keep him. And Bruno was unlucky and we really wanted to keep him, but we had to let him go. And it was just, it sounds like what you said, another contradiction. It got a lot of people fired up because it seems like one of the most obvious decisions they could have made after those 11 games with Bruno was to let Bruno go. Yes. So he did say that the wins from Wimmer were really close and the losses were very not close, which might be true. But mm -hmm. um, the, and then he's, he went further um, with saying that the Labadia losses were also often very, very close. Like there were some not close there, but most of them were close and they lost or tied in the last second. And that this would be the reason why Bruno Labadia was not so successful. That's his defense, why he would not call it a mistake, why he would not call it a mistake to hire Bruno Labadia. So that's kind of how it um, got there. But um, then another journalist actually um, helped him out and saying, and um, Girassi was missing most of Bruno's time. And mm -hmm. that's, um, that's a point that gets my blood boiling, to be uh -huh. honest, because um, <laughs> I heard that a couple of times now that Labadia wasn't successful because Girassi was missing and Hoeneß is not successful because Girassi is back. And how he's back, he's amazing. And yes, I understand that point, and it makes sense in, uh, 
to some extent because um, Giresi is amazing and without him I don't think we would have um, won or tied uh, so many games but we also have to rem remind ourselves that at the beginning of Bruno's time Giresi was fit he was there and the only win under Bruno Labbadia was where he was already injured or I think that was the game where he got injured mm. no actually it was the game where Silas started up front for the first time yeah um, against Cologne I believe yeah exactly so we already have their data suggesting more that that it was not so much Girassi missing why Bruno got fired and then for example the game against Dortmund all of our goals were scored after Girassi was off the field I'm not trying to um, diminish the factor that Girassi is playing in our good performances in the last couple of weeks I'm just saying this is a really really um yeah in my in my opinion it's not a, a really um, good conclusion to draw that it's it was Girassi and luck by women who is are good and by Bruno and um, bad luck by Bruno is not good or didn't show, didn't bring the results in I think you bring up a fantastic point is I just because it's so, so recent bias for me I totally forgot that uh, Jurassi was out of the match for that comeback and if Jurassi was playing for Bruno, I don't, and he's getting subbed out with the system that Bruno played. I don't think we're making a two goal comeback to get back into that match. One thing um, that was mentioned is that um, Mislintat didn't want Girassi and that um, Girassi basically came just because Bruno, uh, just because um, Reno wanted them so bad. And then I feel like also, and here you say it's a one man show, but he's still signing players that he's not really in on so that's another point where i think like just like connect your statements and then they might make sense but if you leave them all out and don't connect them with another then yeah you get did, so horrible so did uh, veril so say that about seiru that no um that was a journalist another journalist that said that but he did uh, not he did not say no 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 he wanted him he did not say yeah. anything like that he just let it stand in the room in general much of the criticism remained unanswered and uh, that that other journalist i was talking um about that attacked him so heavily he had he said like um many things about contract details and there rarely got kind of pissed because he said they're just not true they're just not true and that was where he really said something meaningful and something new that we learned um for example he said that the labadia um did not cost the, uh, the club anything more to fire him so and stuff like that while the uh, journalist said it's cost the five four millions basically right now okay. um so there was some there was some things he said and um yeah, where he actually said something, but the other stuff, he's just smiling them away, like how we that, know him. That Bruno comment makes no sense to me. I don't understand how he gets sacked and he's going to give up two years on a contract. That that makes absolutely zero sense. There's got to be some compensation somewhere. Yeah, I think so too. I think maybe it was really a club-friendly deal that they said when it doesn't work out. Um, we get out easily or um, I could see that really because he would not go out there and saying that all uh, like all the time and 
with so much um yeah i don't know i want to say like um with so much force kind of <laughs> because yes. um, okay. I, I i trust him there that it's really not a lot that it really will not cost us a lot in fees but when we just think about the process like and i think that's something fans really can determine whether it's good or not we might we we don't know so much about tactics that we um we see what works on the field and whatnot but we are not the experts that tell them what what should work better or whatever but what we can right. really determine is the process and it's just bad process getting the opposite of what you had before as a coach with a team that can't be in a in a club that doesn't have money to make the changes the new coach would need to for his version to be successful and then giving this person a two and a half year um deal without any like for no reason because you could have always said we're doing it till the season ends and if we're successful it will automatically um, renew itself for two years or something like that right, that, right. it's just bad process to to make all those decisions it's, it seems so, bizarre yeah yeah i think right, after the season we should for sure make kind of like a vele first year review episode or so where we just oh, like oh my God. all three of them get on air and rip on him for 30 minutes <laughs> it's gonna be i fun. can only imagine how good that'll go Two questions. One, do you feel like you wasted valuable minutes of your life? And two, how are you feeling about Alex being in charge of the club now? And if we survive going forward? So first of all, it brought me uh, onto today's episode, so it can't be wasted time. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you, sir. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't think it was wasted time because, as I said, he didn't say anything big, um, new, but he kind of doubled down on his criticisms or some of his comments before. Um, it was wasted time when you then hear um, some other guests that were there, for example, um, a former soccer coach who actually won the league with Stuttgart in 1992, who said, like basically just stuff from that were true maybe 10, 15 years ago and said, and now really wants to fix it and he just needs time. And that's the best thing that could ever happen to VfB. So that's yeah. how I don't um, yeah. view the person there um, when we compare or when we <laughs> determine whether he is a success or not. Yeah. So what I think, what I hear also, and that's from Twitter or from podcasts, um, that Vela is actually behind the scenes doing many good things. Like he's talking to the fans, he's including them kind of in mm -hmm. some of the decisions he's advocating for them. And I don't want to dismiss that, but it's kind of hard for me because I'm obviously living here in the US. Mm -hmm. So I have not that behind the background impression from him, but I feel like we should in, we should kind of um, listen to what, um, other what other people say about their um, experiences with Verde. But publicly, I mean, it's it's one disaster after another, right? Like how he's mm -hmm. presenting the club is just not good. And it started with um, Entspannt euch mal, so relax you all. And it went over with those um, advisors he got and mm -hmm. even Gentner creating a job just to give Gentner a job and that would be under Mislintat to how he explained uh, um, how he explained now that changes from Bruno Labatia to Hoeneß and that yeah basically everything is luck um, when when things happen when things are successful that he did not support and nothing is luck 
or it's all bad luck if it doesn't work out how he plans it. So I think it is really, really important that we get someone who knows something about sports in that important um, Sportvorstands um, position. So that not the he. So I think he can stay CEO, but he should not talk into things regarding sports. So I think we need to kind of find someone for that position. Oh, boy. Because right now he has both of those positions, and I don't think that's really a good idea. Having someone who's um, studied organization and then, yeah, worked in sports and soccer clubs, but he never played soccer. He does not have that um, knowledge of, of scouting or any sort of background in that perspective, which would make him um, a really, really good um, sports expert so or soccer expert. So I think... Um, we need to fill that with someone who has more sports um, background. Well, it's, it's good to hear that there's some stuff behind the scenes where he is, you know, trying to work with the fans and the supporters and the club and trying to do some good things. But I'll echo exactly what you said is from thousands of miles away, the club that you and I love is being marketed in a very different way than it was just a few months ago. And it's, it's difficult to understand because uh, I think you and I agree. It's tough to understand exactly what's going on right now. I feel like a Stuttgart fan finally, because even though I'm super happy that we had the result against Gladbach, I'm thinking to myself, okay, even if we survive and Veril's in charge, he's going to get rid of almost all these players. And what is next season? I mean, what is the plan for next year? What's the, What's going to happen for next year? So I don't know, like, are you feeling that angst as well? Or are you just like, let's just get through this year and not worry about it? Well, um, that's how many people feel and how I think that's really a valuable um, to feel that way. And I think also that gives like good talking points also for the future, or maybe to go back to or for old statements exposed or so. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> No, but um, in general, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm a, I feel a little bit better since Volgemut uh, is there now, and it seems like that that Hoeneß decision was more his decision. I think I think the last minute um, signings he did, even though Haraguchi and Diaz are back on the bench and they're basically playing with the Mislintat. Um, <laughs> roster. Um, yeah. I think they were. They all kind of made sense. So I hope that, um, and I hope that he will like. So there is the Mitgliederversammlung in September. So it's gonna be when the next season is on already. But I, but I think um, he will get so many um, criticism latest there that he will not try to do both CEO and Sportvorstand anymore. And that's kind of where my hope lays in that. That first of all, that hopefully Volgemut is getting more and more of a profile and getting better and better in his job. His mm -hmm. communication, by the way, is also horrible, but um, we <laughs> I can know. talk about that sometime <laughs> else. Any last second thoughts before uh, we call this one a wrap? You know what? Um, no, I think I I, I, sh uh, I had enough thoughts in that short <laughs> little time. I, I kind of fired and wasn't even planning on that. So I think I'll just let the last 25 minutes um, speak for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well said, my friend. I really appreciate you nice. uh, being, being flexible with our schedule. And good luck with your daughter. And hope she's feeling better soon. And you know, hopefully we talk again soon. Yeah, like, like I said, uh, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you.
All right, here we go with part four, news, headlines, and questions. I want to thank Hannes for breaking down a little bit of the officiating issue, but also the big news was Veral. So, Matt, I kind of want to give you a little, you know, chance to jump in on this. So the first one I want you to jump into was the VAR situation in the Bundesliga title race. I think we mentioned it in part two when you are chatting, and then Hannes and I mentioned it in part three. Um, what are your thoughts on not so much VAR, but just, it's just, it's really sad that this mistake could very likely determine the result of the Bundesliga. Or are you of the camp that, listen, Dortmund can't get the job done, and that's just the way it is. I had a coach um, growing up playing hockey who his refrain on referees was always, you can't put yourself in a position where the referee can make a call that will determine whether you win or lose a game. If you've done that, that's on you. Shame on you. So <clears throat> shame on Dortmund. They're, they've had a lot of opportunities to salt us away and they've blown every single one of them. Um, at the same time, the the call that we're referencing was horrible. Um, I was glad to see the referee come out and say something about it. I think it would be better if refs saw some post-game scrutiny like the players do. Um, the fact that they're treated as untouchable uh, creates a problem, I think. Um, but really, refereeing in Germany has gone significantly downhill since Bibiana Steinhaus retired. And that is a hill I will die on. She's the best <laughs> ref I have ever seen watching Bundesliga soccer. And we are worse off for her not being an active member of that group. There needs to be some kind of reprimand for that. In the NFL, you see it all the time. I think it's the bottom 5% of the officials are fired at the end of the year. They're not allowed to continue that work anymore. So I think something as egregious as this needs to happen or like Jens 1893 has said on Twitter is maybe they need to follow the NFL where you get a challenge and maybe that's not a great idea. It'll slow things down, but it's just disappointing that this is going to be one of the big talking points for this season and what could have been a really exciting, exciting season. And now it looks like it's over. So I'll say something that might be super controversial. Mm -hmm. Um, Bundesliga refs are not full-time officials. We hear this during every game. Oh, this person's a lawyer. They're a doctor. They're a, a police officer in this place. This is not their full-time occupation. Uh, it's the same with NFL officials. These are uh, people with big shot jobs who make enough money that they can have this fun part-time hobby on the weekends. And they think it's cool. Uh, NCAA officials for football, the same. In each one of these, we have games that determine huge swings of money for the teams, for the players that occasionally hinge on really big, important calls made by functionally lowly paid amateurs. Mm. Why the Bundesliga, why the NFL, why NCAA can't have full-time officials, I don't understand. There's so much money. And I know the, the first question somebody would bring up is, well, what are they going to do during the off season? And it's like, you do officiating camps, you go and you train other officials, you officiate at lower level games to bring up the next crop to make sure that there's a constant mm -hmm. supply of good, high level, well-trained officials 
that are, are ready at the drop of a hat. And you can't do that if you're asking Officer Joe to drive halfway across the country on a Saturday because the local guy couldn't make it. You mentioned well-trained and well-organized. So let's move on to the second topic, which is our old friend Alexander Barrel um, gave the interview. And Johannes and I talked a lot about this last segment, but I do want to get your quick thoughts on what Verrill said, didn't say, how it impacts the club, doesn't impact the club, impacts the present, doesn't impact the future. Uh, like I said, Hannes and I went over this like crazy. I don't get it. What do you get? I think the more Beryl talks, the worse he sounds. <laughs> and I don't understand him calling out the players so much. Um, I'm not sure what he hopes to accomplish with that. I don't understand his logic. It seems like there's a lot of logical fallacies. Any of the signings that are good were things I had input on. Any of the ones that were bad were Sven's fault. That's not fair. His whole take on Bruno is baffling. Um, saying that the club it costs the club nothing to have Bruno, that's on many levels, that's complete garbage. It's going to cost financially. It costs us uh, games and points and time and emotionally and psychically. <laughs> like, it was painful <laughs> to watch him take our team apart. <clears throat> and to say that he didn't have a negative impact, we were playing a system that was okay. The results weren't great, but they were okay. He completely upended it. The team totally fell apart and went in the tank. And then we bring in Honus, and he largely goes back to that system. And all of a sudden, we're playing well again. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you don't tie that to Bruno. It just <laughs> nothing for a guy who's a marketer, who's in theory supposed to be skilled at delivering messages to people. His messaging is terrible and it's baffling i don't understand it i mentioned to you before we started recording and i forgot to mention this to hannes that i actually wanted to come on tonight and apologize to vote and Deverell for some of the things we said last week in terms of i just thought it was getting a little bit too personal i don't think anybody is trying to drive the club into the ground i i just i don't think that's a thing i think they're making decisions we don't agree with which is fine i mean it's not fine but i i can understand that a little bit more but you said it perfectly. The messaging is just shockingly baffling all the time. There's never a time where you're like, this was a good time to make a statement. I just, I don't understand it. Ricky Palm said it perfectly. It's like you're on the cusp of a Pokal final. You have one of the biggest matches of the season coming up on Saturday. And the guy who's in charge of the sporting club comes out and says the roster's not good. It makes no sense to me. It just makes no sense. Although, Somebody on Twitter did say, maybe this is perfect psychological masterclass because he's making the club hate him so that they will rally together and win for each other. And in that case, Alex, I 100% agree with whatever it is you're saying to fire up the boys. I, I'm not going to jump on the reverse psychology bandwagon <laughs> right now. Um, I just... I, I don't know. I would like to, it's not personal. I don't think Farrell's a bad person. I think he's doing a bad job right now. So maybe he's in less of a position where he feels like he needs to de defend every decision and deflect uh, negative attention. 
I I don't know, but I'm not full of warm fuzzy feelings about him going forward. I would feel I'd feel better if this was his first job and it looked like he was going to grow into it. But he had this job before at Cologne, and they were a bit of a roller coaster when he was there. And I don't know them well enough to know if he was responsible for that at all. But I do know the supporters there weren't sad to see him come to Stuttgart, and that was really <sighs> clear very early when that move was announced. So. I'm really concerned, you know, going forward because he does seem to be great at marketing, but he seems awful at messaging. And that doesn't seem to be conceivable. You, those Mar- two Mar- Marketing is messaging. So right. yeah, I, don't, I don't, it, it makes that, no sense. The Colm thing is what gives me the most pause is how glad they were to see him come to us and go, oh, he'll punish you now and we'll benefit from that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, crap. Yeah, so it's. I just wish he would take a month off and not talk, and maybe things would be okay here. So hopefully, that was actually a question that G S Y C H N asked is what our opinion was, and I think Matt, you said it perfectly. It's not personal at all. We just don't understand what the the heck's going on uh, with the club. Here's a good question though. Uh, K guy two asks. Your opinion on Koulibaly now? Should the contract be extended or should we just let him go? So let me throw some stuff out. He's five foot eight. He's 22 years old. He's been with us for four seasons. He was a free transfer under Sven. His highest market value was in 2021 when he played about 31 games. It was about five million. He's down to about two million now. The transfer market already says that he's without a club on their website. I checked today, so that's not good because I'm pretty sure I saw him on Saturday. Um, he's played 70 games for Valpay. He's only got five goals and three assists in that time, which is kind of surprising. He was a key part of the fun season we had in 2021 when we came up and we were kind of finished ninth. According to Salary Sport, which is a website, he makes somewhere between 200 to 500,000 per year. There was about 10 games ago where you and I both said, you know what, we appreciate everything you've done, but it's time for us to both part ways. Over the last few weeks, he's indicated he's shown that under Honus, he's a valuable cog in the system. So, money aside, what do you think? And then money being an issue, what do you think? I can't put money aside because I'm broken like that. Um, <laughs> I think if we could get him on a one-year extension at his current rate, and say, "Hey, you picked it up at the end of the season. You're flourishing under the new coach." Show me what you're worth. If he finishes this month strong, I don't think he's going to, to want to stay here because he's going to want to play more minutes. And I don't think that's his role. I, I think he's a super sub. And there are some guys who can make their living in the Bundesliga that way, but he's only 22 years old. I don't think he wants to pigeonhole himself in that position now. So, okay, guy, if you're asking right now, extend or, or let him walk, I think, ooh, this is a tough one. Part of me is saying that because I think they're going to let him walk. I don't think he fits the plan that Veryl wants. And Veryl wants more homegrown talent. Uh, Veryl wants, I think, to unload some of Sven's guys. That's just my totally shot-in-the-dark opinion. It would be a, a rough one because I think we could get him for pretty cheap. There's another guy, Darko Trilinov, who I really liked, who was really cheap. I think mm-hmm. they're kind of similar players. I think if the price is right, I'd keep him. I think they're going to let him walk, which is why it's easy for me to say to let him walk. I think that's a, the writing on the wall. My my feelings aren't going to be hurt if they let him walk. Um, if they extended him for more than a year on a show-me contract, I think I'd be not real excited about that. I think 
Yeah, and I don't think he's going to want to be here for one year. So, yeah, this is a great question because it's a tough one because he's been a really part of the club for a number of years now, and he's playing a huge role in the success we've had the last month. So it's hard to not be a prisoner in the moment, you know, with this, especially when you see how much everybody on the club likes him and how much mm-hmm. he celebrates with them. So that's a tough one for me, for sure. David asked a question. Silas got the start on Saturday. What do you think of his performance? To me, although it was not statistically as strong, it felt like he's on the verge of making something big happen. It seems like he's definitely on the upward trajectory. I want to say him and Tiago, like we talked about earlier. They both seemed super disappointed at the end of the match, but they were both putting pressure on Gladbach the entire match. Silas, I think, is finally coming around. And I think it's two things. He's a year removed from that knee injury, and he's playing on the wing, which is his natural position. And I think those two things coming together are helping him finally be the Silas that we are used to seeing. The one thing I would I, – I no no disagreement with any of that. The only thing is if, if we're going to start Silas, he's got to be off at the 60th minute. Because the one – we talked about the, the substitutions earlier – and I didn't mention it then, but the one issue I had is I felt like he waited a little long to pull Silas. And I think Silas just got tired. He started to fall apart. And when he does that, he gets super frustrated and his defensive game goes completely out the window. Mm-hmm. So fine with him starting. Uh, still a big fan of Silas, but he can't play beyond 60 minutes right now. That's why I love him and Kulabali coming in for a, as a 90 minute combo package you have Silas play 60 65 have Kulabali play 30 35 I think that's a really nice mix and see what happens and uh it was good to see Kulabali play some defense but you're absolutely right is it just Silas starts to cherry pick as the match goes yeah. on and he waits for the offensive move to make his sprint and he's not pushing and pressing as much and we just can't afford that right now so having them together is a great combo but Dave I think Silas is finally coming back around. I agree, Matt, 100% with you that maybe he's a part-time player at this point. Tim asks, can Stuttgart get seven points from the remaining four games? He says he thinks they will. At Hertha, three. At Mainz, one. Then three against Hoppenheim, as he calls them, still making fun of Dieter Hopp. And uh, Leverkusen's the one where he thinks we might not you know, get some points. So those are the four matches left, man. We've got Hertha this weekend, Mainz, Leverkusen, Hoffenheim. Do you think we get seven out of all that? I think Hertha and Hoffenheim are uh, should be targets for three. It'll be an emotionally charged match against Hoffenheim playing against Matarazzo. Um, so that's going to play into that. Mainz, well, Mainz just Mainz is, <laughs> is tough to figure out because Mainz always play us really hard. And they're always, they're just, they're minds. They're the same thing year in and year out, and they're always tough. Leverkusen, I can't figure out. They seem to vacillate this season between being really strong and really good and just kind of meh. So if we catch Leverkusen on a meh day, maybe when they haven't taken their morning aspirin, (laughs) um, we could steal some points there. But I, I think we really need to, we need to take uh, Hoppenheim down for two, uh, for three. And uh, we need to get three out of Heart of Berlin. 
And yeah, I, it, I got a, I got a bad feeling for against Mainz. It's just it's bringing about Augsburg, Union Berlin, just memories to me. And Leverkusen's weird. I could actually see us getting a result from Leverkusen, even though they're competing for Europe at this point, just because they play more wide open, and that's what we do as well. Hoffenheim is going to be. Oops, sorry, Tim. Hoffenheim is going to be. I I can't even predict that one at this point. Is it's match day thirty four or Pellegrino. Could be the whole season on the line. Who knows? But this weekend's match against Hertha is enormous. So, Matt, why don't we jump into part four predictions and talk about this weekend's match? Let's find out what I'm going to be wrong about. <laughs> All right, here we go. Final part, talking about predictions here. Now, oh, did I say part four? I think we're actually in part five. Did we go back in part time? Part seven. Part 12. This is the longest book you've never wanted to read right here. <laughs> All right. So before we even get to Saturday, we got to talk about the Pokal, Matt. So you and I love the Pokal. We got Wednesday, home. Hoffenheim is not the team we're playing. It's Frankfurt. <laughs> Tricked you, Frankfurt. Maybe they won't show up because I messed that up. Uh, Frankfurt is struggling of late. They only have one win in their last 13 matches but they're still ninth on the table because they got six draws and they're they started the season very strong so their only hope to return to europe is winning the pokal we drew against them one-to-one in february see last score the 75th minute goal to get us the draw in our last 20 matches we've got seven wins to eight losses against them but we're only one win four draws and five losses in our last 10 so that's not great all those stats being thrown at you. What do you think the betting websites have this one at? Who in the Frankfurt match is the underdog at Stuttgart? This is at Stuttgart. Uh, I'm going to say they're making it a pick em. It was close. It's actually, as of today, Sunday, it's Stuttgart minus half a goal. I was really surprised to see that. That's, But Frankfurt has been in the dumps for a while. Their main striker may not be able to play on Wednesday. We don't know what Seiru Jirasi's status is going to be for Wednesday. If he can't play, that's a big blow for us. The other match on in the Pokal is Freiburg versus Leipzig at Freiburg, a rematch of last year's final. That's going to be on Tuesday. So going into Wednesday's match, we're going to know exactly what our status is. What are your thoughts about that? Optimistic, pessimistic? I mean, it's weird because three, four days later, we got to turn around and play what is probably – an even more important game. It's hard to argue who this game is more important for, because as you mentioned, this is Frankfurt's ticket back to Europe. But for us, this is validation and some validation that we haven't had in a long time. And it's a, a sign that despite our struggles this year, we can still go toe to toe with the big boys in the Bundesliga. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Honest like take every opportunity possible to try and win this game. As you mentioned, Frankfurt's on a bad run of form and they feel like they're vulnerable to be picked off by a team that plays the way that we do. So I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and think that maybe we can get through. I don't know that we would have a much of a, I think we'd have a puncher's chance against Freiburg and Leipzig, but um, Frankfurt, I feel like we're well positioned to, to put them in a really uncomfortable position. 
I'm always overly optimistic when it comes to Pokal matches. So I'm just going to keep that train going here, even though we're, you know, the favorite, which it's a little bit odd, but we're at home. So maybe that's, that's fair, but I love our chances. I mean, I, we're going to go in with, with, if Seiru is healthy, a the best roster we can have out there and playing with house money really at this point, which why not? And Frankfurt, like you said, is, is struggling. Um, I like our chances. The place is going to be rocking on Wednesday. This is the furthest we've gone in the Pokal since that was it 2010. The guys made it to the finals and uh, I think fell to Byron, but I'm pumped. I'm, I'm excited. I, I like our chances in this one. Like you said, we've got a, a puncher's chance against the other guys, but I think we got a great chance in this one. And if Freiburg can pull out the win on Tuesday, that would be just so fantastic for the Bundesliga because if they got the win, we got the win, you'd have two relatively new clubs going for a trophy. And two clubs I think people would root for. You know, Freiburg's never won a trophy. We haven't won one in a long time. You know what? I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think it'd be fun and it would get rid of the specter of everybody hates Red Bull, mm. um, which would be nice for people to just be like, we're going to watch a game and whoever wins, that'll be neat. Yep. Um, instead of Ugh, it's Leipzig or Ugh, it's Bayern. So I, I don't know. I, I think I think we can get there, especially I'm looking at Frankfurt and Gladbach and they're looking like real close uh, similarities of each other right now. And Gladbach's a team we just pretty solidly punched in the mouth. So especially if we've got Jirasi, I feel like we've got a really good chance at this. And the more I talk to you about it, the more optimistic I'm getting. So we should probably stop talking about it <laughs> or it'll all go south. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to a match that went south <laughs> last season, which was the Hertha Berlin match. So this is huge. Hertha's entire season comes down to this match. If they lose this one, they are almost for sure out of it. So they lost late-ish versus Bayern when everyone was rooting for them on Sunday. They're 18th on the table. Um, if they lose, they're pretty much all but done, I said. They'd be six behind the relegation playoff with only two to play. We are completely even, Steven, in our last 17 matches. Seven wins, three draws, seven losses for both. We beat them 2-1 to one at home. Seiru scored earlier, and then Dino had that late header in the 98th minute under Vimmer to get us the win. But the last time we were in this same situation, match day 31 last year, we went to Hertha Berlin. Season was on the line. Both clubs were in that 15-16 spot. Hertha crushed us 2 to nothing. And I say crush because they scored early, they scored late. We were never in that game. I remember that we were just devastated after that because we all thought, okay, this is it. It's done. Luckily, we were able to get some points after that, but it looked pretty bleak. On the road at Hertha, our record is one win and four losses in our last five. So we don't play well in Berlin, uh, but Berlin's struggling. They just sacked their coach. They've got a new coach, but he's 0-2 so far. They're O. They have zero wins in their last five, um, but they're 2-1-2 and in their last five home games. So they seem to play a little bit better at home. With all that being said, how are you feeling about this game, and what do you think the odds are for this game? Well, Hertha is the home team, so they'll be given a half goal automatically. We're a little better. I've, it's either going to be a pick em or it's going to be us by half. 
It's us by a half. So I, I also, this is playing into my theory that the odds makers have picked um, <laughs> Stuttgart fans for suckers. Free money. It it should yeah, it should probably be a pickup. But just like we we're just saying with the the Frankfurt match, we're a team on the upswing. We've been showing improvement every week. We've been playing better, and Hertha has not. So I I think we deserve to be the favorites on this match. I think if we don't take three points. We're going to be asking some really hard questions about life choices we've made. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm su- as optimistic as I am about the Pokal match. I'm super worried about this match. It's just we don't play well there. We seem not to play well against them. I I'm worried about it. I mean, I almost think if we walked out with a point, which isn't good enough, that might be good enough, just so we can crush Hertha's chances of coming back. I mean, Schalke is playing Mainz that weekend. Um, Hoffenheim has Frankfurt that weekend. Bochum has Gladbach that weekend. Gladbach's looked like garbage <laughs> the last few matches. Uh, Frankfurt's not looked good. Mainz just got the doors blown off them by Wolfsburg. So we desperately need some results here. I, yikes. I'm always optimistic when we do these predictions, and I always text you on the side before the match starts and change my prediction. So I'm going to keep that good luck going. I'm going to say we're... <laughs> I'm going to say we're going to eke it out. Uh, we're going to get some magic from Seiru again. I'm just hoping that the traveling contingent, because I know it's a long trip, there's a heavy component of white and red in that stadium instead of blue and white, because the Bremen fans traveled like crazy, and Bremen blew the doors off Herta. And I just think this club feeds off of their support. And if there can be a lot of support in the stands, I think we can see another result. Um, and see what Honus can do. It's going to be weird because we're going to be tired going into that match because we've got that Wednesday Pokal match. If we can do something great in the Pokal, that could be a lot of energy to take to Berlin to do something great in Berlin. If we struggle in that Pokal match or we just get our teeth kicked in, it's going to be a real test of Honus's ability to get these guys up for a game. I think all the ingredients are there for a really fun, exciting, upbeat week for us to take it to Frankfurt and then to go in and completely close the doors off of Herda because they're, they're terrible. Mm-hmm. They're just terrible. As mm-hmm. bad as we've been, they're terrible. And this is a game we should win. And it, I think you're, I'm with you on the, the traveling contingent. This is definitely a team that feeds off the supporters. Um, we've talked endlessly about how great our traveling supporters are. We really need them to show up again, as we always need them to show up. But like <laughs> this game feels particularly important. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic week of just having two matches, the semis, the Pokal, this huge match on Saturday, a lot of other you know big matches you know, going on this we're in the final stretch run here, you know, of the season. And like Ted said a couple episodes ago, maybe this is like Major League, where if you've seen that movie, the owner takes over the team trying to get them to move to Florida from Cleveland and tries to make them as bad as possible and says as many bad things about them as possible. So uh, she rallies the team to actually make the playoffs so they have to stay in Cleveland. Here. Is Cleveland that bad that somebody would want to go to Florida? Well, this was back in the 80s when Florida wasn't the crazy <laughs> swamp land that it is right now. So. <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> the time, be, time in the past. So we'll see what happens. I, 
I'm going to end it with this, is that for the first time in a long time, the guys have confidence, right? You could see it. And for the first time in a long time, I think it's fair for us as supporters to have confidence going against Frankfurt at home, traveling on the road against Hertha. And, hey, you heard Matt. Like, listen, guys, supporters, get in the car, drive that trip. Matt and I will be sitting in our living rooms watching on TV. I mean, we're doing our part, right? Yeah, we're, we're not driving, but you guys should totally drive. <laughs> yeah, Ted's a hero. Or, Ted will car you know, with you. I, I hear they have this um, mass public transit thing in Germany. Uh, I, it's not anything we have here, but maybe use that. We have yellow buses that transport people around from time to time. Do that, maybe. Like Hoosiers, <laughs> when they did that for all the games there. I wonder how many people are listening to this podcast going, would you stop it with the random 1980s movie references? <laughs> don't understand. No, no, we won't. <laughs> no, we, we, will not. we are men of a certain age, and no, we will not. <laughs> well, like John Cusack can say anything, I think it's time for us to hold that radio above our head <laughs> and get out of here, Matt. Thanks so much for joining us this episode. Uh, hopefully next week we can talk to you and talk to Ted. Uh, Jeff is going to be in town in Cleveland, so maybe we'll talk to him. It'll just be a... a Hopefully a, a smorgasbord of happiness here. That would be an absolute delight. Mm-hmm. A smorgasbord. That I is like a smorgasbord. Who doesn't like a smorgasbord? <laughs> Just four guys who enjoy smorgasbords. <laughs> Big fan of food. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this disaster. And we'll talk to you next.